I think I was like 15 when I sang three songs at church for a solo. Afterwards, everybody came up to me and they're like, oh my gosh, you were so good. And so I got in the car with mom and I was psyched her. And I was like, oh yeah, everybody thought I was good. It's awesome. And she was silent and she was like, yeah, you were good. But were you receiving the message that you were giving? And even to this day, I think of that daily, whether it be mortgage, whether it be anything that I'm doing, am I doing this for the right reasons, right? Am I receiving that message that I'm trying to give out to everybody else? And it was a big wake up call. And so I always have to bring myself back down to earth and say, why am I doing this? Am I doing this to help others or am I doing this to brag? And so I try to start everything that I do with that question. This is the Fit Investor Podcast, where we talk about how to live a more holistic life of being fit, not only financially, but physically and faithfully. We'll be joined by experts in all these areas to share their experiences and actionable and practical tips so that you can be a fit investor too. So now let's join our hosts, Kale Delaney, Wesley Whitehead, and Brenna Carls. All right. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Fit Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Kale Delaney, here with the Bearded Man. How's it going? And we have a very special guest, Miss Mrs. Brenna Carls, who... Hey, guys. <laughs> so we have actually known each other for almost, yeah, over three years now, I think. And this is the... We were just chatting beforehand. This is actually the first time that we've met virtually, even... <laughs> by video we've still yet to meet in person so brenna is actually the ceo and founder of the mortgage shop which is a premier lending brokerage specializing in short-term rentals and that's how we had connected even prior to her her founding this brokerage of her own when i got started in short-term rentals i had worked with brenna on my very first cabin in the smokies but that is not all that Brenna has to offer. So she actually has quite an interesting background, even starting off as a backup singer for Dolly Parton. So I'm just going to turn it over right there because that's not something you're going to see on very many people's bio at all. So why don't we start there, Brenna? Give us the lowdown on how that all happened. Yes, I've sang my whole life. Actually, when I was really young, I couldn't sing at all. I sounded awful. And mom pushed it off and was like, look, maybe if you pray about it, you'll sound better. Maybe. And God, and I literally prayed every single night that I could sing because I just wanted to. And so the first time I ever sounded good was my grandfather was a World War II veteran and we were doing a Veterans Day play when I was younger, probably about 13 years old. And I wanted to sing in the arms of the angel for it. And I practiced it and I sang it to mom and she had tears in her eyes and she said it was really good. So that was the first time I could actually sing and sound good. So it really is a gift from God because if you ever heard my dad try to sing, it sounds like a donkey dying. So I just kept going with it and practiced. I learned piano by ear so I could hear by key. I used, it's going to tell my age. My mom used to have a voice machine that had the little tapes that recorded the messages. And so she got really mad at me because I recorded my voice on those tapes to play it back and hear if I was good or not. And so I used a Bolivar voicemail tapes. But anyway, so I kept singing and went through college. I majored in criminal psychology with a minor in the fine arts music. And I knew about Dollywood. I was a country singer and classic rock singer, most of all. And I heard about Dollywood and I really wanted to sing there because it's mostly the country music and they've got the gospel fests and everything. And so mom and I came down to Tennessee to audition. I'm from Virginia originally. And we came down to Tennessee. I auditioned. I got the job as one of the lead singers in the country show there, Country Crossroads. Wow. And then Dolly came in. She comes in often for a year and she hand selects her background singers. And she picked me as one of her background singers. I always think it's because I'm really short and I look shorter than her. So maybe that's why she picked me. I don't know. But she's really cool. Got to sing with her for about three years. Every time she was in town, we'd learn the music that she was bringing wow. and um, sing the background vocals for her and a lot of people think yes she does lip sync to some things but she with her voice for her age it still sounds exactly like her recording her tape and it's insane i don't know how she does it <laughs> being older and still have that voice but yeah it was great and then and i became lead singer in various shows in town i got a writing deal in nashville 
did all that stuff for a little while and came back to Severable because I was tired of waiting tables and playing for free. And that's where it ends for my performing career and it segued into lending. So how that happened. I'm sorry. A natural segue, right? Yeah, mortgage, (laughs) singing. So I remember I was the lead singer at the show called Hatfield McCoy, and it was the best paying show in town, even though it's not that great of pay, contrary to popular belief. And I needed, I wanted a house instead of my apartment. And so I was looking at an FHA loan. I was doing a new construction. And I just fell in love with the process. It sounds really weird, but I really loved the organization. I geeked out about how you had to have certain documents and Excel spreadsheets. And so I asked, it was an older mortgage brokerage in town. And I asked them, I was like, how do I get into this? And they said, I think you'd be good because you're organized. So I interned with them in the mornings and then staying at night, of course. And I really liked it. And I was like, I don't know, I can't get up performing. I need to get good pay. And I prayed about it. And I was like, God, you've got to give me sign that this is what I need to do. And as soon, like the next week, the major Gatlinburg Smoky Mountain fires happened. And it was November. And I remember we got a tractor trailer together to give out supplies and goods we filled up a theater that was vacant with supplies and goods and we were handing out things to people and it hit me because it was like i was handing a toothbrush to somebody and it was a local and i thought oh my gosh like these people don't even have their home burn they don't even have a toothbrush to their name and the photos of their great grandparents like that i treasure with my family they're gone everything's gone and so that's what i was like okay that's my sign i'm going to get into this force I quit singing. I begged U.S. Bank to give me a job because I didn't have experience. <laughs> and I told him, I promise if you give me this job, I will I'll do really well. And then I got that job and it was a lot of crying at first because it was really hard to learn. And I learned it and became their top producer on the East. <laughs> and then decided I needed to open up my own company because I did specialize in the short-term rental. That the areas that I specialized in were mostly that. So opened up the company. Here I am now. Yeah. The confident. Wow. That is very cool. Just obviously just the experience and having sung backup for Dolly and all the other things. And then getting into the lending is number one, it was totally out of your wheelhouse, right? So number two, you're giving up more or less. What was it? I'm going to assume what was a dream, right? Of, of singing and performing. So you're taking a huge risk to, to just make a complete 180 degree career change to get into something you really know nothing about. And then what, how long ago was that you actually got started in lending? Six years. I was just thinking that I was telling my husband the other day, I was like, geez, I was like, that was six years ago that I started. Wow. Six years. That's, it's a long time, but at the same time, it's not to achieved the level of of success that you've had in six years. And really you rocketed within the last two, three years since you started your own mortgage company. Yeah. Every year, my, my, my pipeline would double every single year. And then by the third year, it it tripled and kept getting busier where I had two assistants at that point being a loan originator under me at the bank and I could handle it. And that's when I decided to make that shift to have better products for people getting these investment properties. And so now you're doing crazy. You closed over $200 million in loan value. And that's just, that's crazy. So what's, what's the secret, Brenna? How can we all be like you? That, oh my gosh. I do say, and I don't know if this is good for everybody because I have a performing crap background, but when you first start, like just hit the pavement running, I literally went to all these brokerages. I know I got on their nerves. Uh, these real estate brokerages trying to get their business. I I did presentations. I didn't know what the heck I was talking about when I first started, but I faked it until I made it. So that's what my advice is. Fake it until you make it. As soon as you learn something new, just take that and just learn every single thing you can about it. So as I can use proposed rental income, you know, when I learned that on an investment property, I looked up all the guidelines. I have a photographic memory. And so I looked up all the guidelines on rental income that there is to know about rental income and I memorized it. And then the next lesson, whatever that was, you can use rental income from the property they already own. Memorize all the guidelines about that. Memorize all the guidelines about cabins. There's some lenders that don't have cabins. So 
you know, beach houses, flood insurance, every single thing that you can think of, I did. And I would post on social media and I know I got on people's nerves with that because that can be annoying sometimes. But that's how I started to get into the business and get that business from local realtors. And then a realtor would hear about my name from another realtor. Really. And so my goal was, which is still my goal, is, you know, I don't have to be somebody's first choice. I just need that person to recognize my name when somebody offers it as a choice. Right. And so that's my goal. And that's what superseded everything else and skyrocketed the career I had. I have a question for you. How has the industry changed over the past six years? Has well, it stayed the same or dramatically changed? Yeah, I wish I had the money when I first got into it. I put all of my debts to credit cards. Like I remember getting my first commission check and I didn't realize that there were so many taxes taken out on commission. And I literally sat in my bank chair and cried. <laughs> and <laughs> I laugh about it now because it's not an easy field to get into. You got to really be tough. And I maxed out all of my credit cards. I had to put, I had to borrow money from my parents for a mortgage payment one time when I first started and obviously paid all that back, paid off my debt. So yeah, it's not easy. It's not for the faint part. And what was it that made you focus on short-term rentals or vacation rentals in terms and of- My family, my maiden name is the Maples, Maples, and we are originally from Smoky Mountains, Tennessee. So it's Maples, Bartons, Ogles. Those are the big names in that area. So my great-grandparents- we're from here and that's where my family originated. And then we had cabins in our family and I knew that they had, they rented the Smoky Mountains have been notorious for renting out. Even Johnny Cash sings about Gatlinburg in one of the songs, boy named Sue. And yeah, so I've had cabins in my family and I knew that when I got to the bank, they said, we don't lend on cabins at all. And I was like, why? And they were like, that's because there's no insulation. There's no heating. I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, it's not an Abraham Lincoln cabin it's not lincoln logs that we used to play with it's these cabins have indoor theaters indoor pools indoor golf but they're like what they're like send us what you have and i was like it's actually you know what's called tongue and groove which is a normal house it's not you very rarely you see the cabins with chinking anymore which is the concrete and i know we're on time about fun fact about that back in the day when they made cabins the chinking was made out of horse hair and mud <laughs> obviously if they do chinking today that's not what it's made out of. but that's what they were assuming. And so I finally, I had to get up to the top of the food chain at U.S. Bank and they finally allowed me to start doing it. And that's just what I was good at. So I kept doing it. Realtors at first would throw me complicated borrowers because nobody else wanted to deal with them. And I was like, I deal with them and I still deal to them with them this, to this day because I was there too. I used to be a server. I was a performer. I didn't make anything. So I know how it feels. So yeah, that's, I just did that and then started making my way to the beach because, you know, we, we have beach houses in our family as well. And I knew that area very well. And now every tourist market that I get into, I at least visit and get to know the area before I open up in that area, just so I actually know the area. Because I hate when people say, yeah, I can do a loan in that state and they've never even visited it and they don't even know what a cabin is or what have you. So any state that I open, I always visit that area first. I think that's great. And just parallel in terms of, for me, for investing in short-term rentals too, any market that I plan on investing in, I'll visit myself personally, at least once for a few days or a week to, like you said, get to know the area, understand what locations are going to be the more desirable locations. And after that, you don't need to be going there all the time, but I recommend right. that to everyone is if you're interested in an area, at least go there once, make sure you get a feel for it because technically, yes, you can get all the data online. You can Google earth it and all that stuff, but there's a difference when you actually get there in person and you can see what are the roads actually, what is the town like, and, and just how does it feel? So I think that's a great, yeah, just a great tip as well. The um, best part is though, you have an excuse to try all the restaurants in town. Well, they, I'm well, a big food it. person. So yeah, you can try all the restaurants so you can tell these, your guests, what good restaurants are. Or I can tell my, you know, borrowers, Hey, if you're going to the town, eat here, it's a really good restaurant. A very good point. And just the, like the lending industry, real estate in general, and most businesses, frankly, it's all about relationships. And even with making a short trip or a single trip or whatever, you can still make some connections on that trip and, and start to develop those relationships and start building your network, which is going to be critical for you down the path. Yeah. So with your, with this rapid success, that's obviously a lot to 
take on and starting your own business and how do all the mechanics work with that, all the behind the scenes, the back office. Can you just give us a little bit of a picture? Like what are some of the biggest struggles that you've had in terms of growing this rapidly and things that maybe you would have done differently had you known what you know now? Yeah, everybody says it's rapid. It did not feel rapid. That picture of the iceberg where you only see the best and you don't see all the hard work. I'm only 18, guys. I look like I'm 34, but I'm now kidding. Not 18, but it feels like I've aged like 20 years in the past three years. The hardest part, honestly, was I didn't even know how to start a brokerage, right? I didn't know anything. So I had to piecemeal like everything together and I'd take information from this person. And I'd take information from this person and I heard about wholesale lenders. So I started researching all of them and I would take information from each of them and I just started it. And I said, well, I'm going to do the same thing that I did when I started in this industry. I'm just going to learn as I go and try not to make like any huge mistakes, which I haven't yet. And the other big thing is compliance. So you have to really stay compliant with the federal laws, the state laws. Sometimes they contradict each other. So it's a lot of learning about what you need to do to follow certain rules. If you're advertising on Facebook or anything like that, you have to put certain you have to put your NMLS number, you have to put the address, all this stuff. So I think that was like the hardest part. And a lot of people also ask, where did you get your employees? Because they're great. I honestly think it's a blessing from God because I've never seen any company that has all of my, all my employees, like they literally are hard workers. But what I did, I, I hired previous investors that I worked with that came from the ground up. And then I hired people with no experience like I, I was because I said, I think you can find the hardest workers, even if they don't have experience and they want this, that's right. who you want working for you. And so that's what I did. And it was a lot for me to train them. But now my processor, head processor said she'd jump off a bridge for me, which I don't want her to, but it's, it's that type of, it's like a family instead of employees. So I think that's what has really blessed me. I wouldn't be, it wouldn't be anything without them. And that's, I think that's probably one of the hardest parts of any business as it grows is building a team and bringing on a team and the training that goes into it. I'm just talking with Wes about this previously. I'm at that point where I probably should start bringing on and building a team, but it's a mental hurdle for a lot of things and, and doing that. So with the training that you've been bringing in your employees with, do you have any, have any tips on that? Did you create these elaborate SOPs ahead of time and then presentations? I wish, and all, I, was it? I, wish I was that smart to do, do all that stuff. I'm very, I'm, I have to Google what the formula is on Excel spreadsheets to just make a simple Excel spreadsheet to make sure everything's in line. But, but I would just make, so right now I'm on Zoom, right? So I would record the video on Zoom of me showing them where it's at. And then I would work with them and through Zoom and say, okay, now you do it because I'm all about, I can't learn anything unless I'm actually the one doing it. And so you can watch all day that this is where you go, this is where you go, this is what you do. But until you actually do it, you're not going to really learn. That's the way I would do it. And then still to this day, like guideline questions still come up, making a, I make a guideline workbook for people that's a work in progress. And it's just day by day, just teaching them and educating and reiterating and repeating and things like that and videos. And that's what I do. And I know one of my goals is to obviously be like, probably hire somebody on because I can't do it myself, but create like this training module and manual that's like everybody goes through it. Uh, but right now I just, I'm hands-on and I teach them or one of my management team teaches them as well. Yeah. And I see, and talking about the videos, I see now you're starting to bring in the the tax side of things now, really putting out a lot of educational material out on social media and things like that for your clients, which I mean, just from a marketing perspective, it's brilliant, but also it's going to help your clients a ton because getting started in anything, you don't know what you don't know. It's surprising at this stage where even what is simple or basic stuff to us with the taxes in terms of, okay, you should definitely look into the cost segregations, right? But a lot of people don't even know about that. And so the amount of value that type of thing can have for newer investors and is going to be huge for them, but it's also going to help with bringing you more business as well. It's, I think it's a great tool that, that you're offering there now as well. Yeah. Like what, their goal, when I opened the mortgage shop, I was like, what is my goal? 
And it was to help build generational wealth, right? To help bridge that gap. My family was not rich by any means growing up. And now if Drew and I have a child, like we're going to be able to help them get on their feet and be successful and things like that. And so I was like, how can I encompass that and not just like close alone, basically? Right. So clients like you, I remember, which kudos to you because you're freaking awesome. Not many people take from the ground up, do what you did and then come back with it and be successful like you did. But people like that, y'all don't know. It's like hard for you to know what you don't know, right? And so I was like, how can I want to make, instead of a community college, basically, where you can take a course, that's what like regular mortgage brokerages are. How can I make the mortgage shop like a university where it's all encompassing? So it's still a work in progress, but my first step was bringing that, that licensed CPA firm on and doing the educational videos and you know, there's still a lot of steps to go, but I'm trying to make it, like I said, more of a university than just a one close. And then we'll talk to you when you want to come back for another mortgage, but don't ask us any other questions. Right. Yeah. Becoming a one-stop shop, more or less working with Avery's team, obviously, and the sales yeah. and all that it literally is pretty much a one-stop shop almost at this point, even that's, that is huge. Thank you for the compliment, but I'm sure you remember me freaking out towards the closing. <laughs> I remember it well. It was like really close to Christmas and I was trying to close you before the Christmas rush and everything. And (laughs) I remember, and that's why I think it's so cool of how far you've come. I hope if you haven't yet, I hope you do a story on how you first started to where you are to give people kind of confidence. Yeah. Yeah. We actually did the first episodes we recorded for this podcast were actually Wes and I interviewing ourselves. Okay. But that's awesome. So you're crushing it. In the mortgage industry, you've got some vacation rentals of your own, but you've also got a life, right? So how do we manage all this stuff? We know you're into physical fitness, you're in the gym, you're working out. How do you find the time to do that first off? It's just got to be like a, no, it's not an option, right? It's required. And for me, it's, I do it because if I don't do it, like I, I will be as stressed and it's like my time to, it's quiet, right? I don't have to answer anybody's questions. I don't have to be in the computer figuring out what our next step is to grow the business. It's just me listening to music, probably Googling like embarrassing things. I see a shirt with a logo on it and I'm like, what does this mean? Or just something like that's my time, right? If you saw my Google search history, I'd be pretty embarrassed because of the things that I just randomly Google. But I um, want to share a screenshot of it now. <laughs> I think that's the most true for everybody. Yeah. But yeah, it's just my time to listen to the music I want to listen to, to work out. And it's just me and my mind. And I think that's the biggest thing. Like I can, you know, prayer doesn't have to be sitting down at bed praying. Like you can do it while you're doing that. You can, it's even not even physically saying a prayer, but just thinking in your head about stuff and what you're grateful for. And so, yeah, I do that first thing in the morning before I start the work, because I know if I start the work day, it's just not going to happen because everything Every day is something, right? It gets them busy. And so what is your, your routine? What do you do for physical fitness? So I used to, so I think everybody in fitness goes through like an unhealthy bit of what they think is right. And then they, if they continue with it, they learn. So I did a fitness show back when I was 27, so a long time ago. And it was just like really unhealthy because I wasn't, it was the first time I heard of macros. I wasn't eating hardly any carbs and then I would feel bad and I would shame myself because I would binge eat one day because I was so hungry. And yeah, I got down the weight and everything and placed third place, but it was like not healthy. And I thought well, that's what you had to do to be able to maintain it. And at that point in the age, I wasn't thinking about what's healthy for my body. And I was just yeah, thinking about the outside. Either. Yeah, it's not so Right. Yeah. And so I wasn't thinking about, I was just thinking about what my outside of the body looked like. And then when I met Drew, like I went through the stage, my husband, I went through the stage where I didn't work out for a year, a year, because I thought it was like more of a punishment and I didn't like it. And he was the one that actually was like, why don't you just work out to feel good? Don't worry about what you look like. And I'm like, what are you talking about? That's not anything. That's not something. And he's like, yeah, it is. Like you can do it. You say you like, after you hike, like you feel great and all this stuff. So I slowly got back into it. And now it's if you do something enough, it literally becomes part of your life. So it's not even, it really, oh, how do you find the time to work out? I'm like, how do you find the time to brush your teeth in the morning? Like, it's something that you do. So it depends. I don't have a workout regimen right now. 
it depends on sometimes I'll go running because I really running and not running like a slow jog, guys. I'm not a runner, but <laughs> the slow jog of me puffing. Right. <laughs> I'm only five feet. My little legs can only go so far. But and then sometimes I go lift and sometimes I go through phases of like heavy lifting, like power lifting. And then sometimes I go through where I want to do a lot of reps with lower weight just to feel that soreness. And then obviously the biggest thing, which is hard for all of us, is the diet part, right? Or I shouldn't, I wouldn't call it a diet because I hate that word. I'd call it a lifestyle. Right. So the hardest part is making sure you're doing all the stuff good for your body for exercise, but you need to make sure you're bringing in the good stuff for your body as well. And I've been following this mentality of where it's 80-20, right? You don't have to eat chicken and broccoli every night. You can have pizza. I had pizza. We went out yesterday to this restaurant. I had pizza. I tracked it. I tracked stuff in my fitness pal and did my calories for the day. And so you can do what you want. You just have to prepare for it, basically. So I want to take a step back there because I didn't know this. You said you were actually, you competed in a fitness show and you got third place. Yeah, I hate looking back at those pictures because I'm like, I looked good, but I was very unhappy. Yeah. But yeah, I placed third place. It was rough. Like I, I almost quit like three times, but I don't quit. And it was just, I will never do that again, probably, <laughs> because it's just really unhappy. Like you have to take diuretics at the end. Like we right. love, you have to drain your body of all the water, which is making you dehydrated. It's just not good for your body. Yeah. Wow. No, that's impressive though. And the other cool thing though, is that, so one of the, and maybe you can give your opinion on this, but one of the common objections that comes up specifically with women when it comes to weightlifting and going to the gym is they think that they're going to get big and bulky the second they touch a weight, right? Yeah. They're going to become Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Obviously, no, it take a lot of work to get muscle. <laughs> You're going to have to try really hard, which most of the population will not right. try. I would not even try that hard. Like I can't even to get that toned. And like you have, that's has to be like your job. Basically, that oh, yeah. is your job. Somebody needs to pay me to do that. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to do that. <laughs> so right. So what I mean, so what would you have to say for for women that, you know, are looking to to get into a workout routine specifically in the weightlifting. And you even mentioned you, you do some phases of powerlifting and stuff like that, which is awesome. But what would you recommend? Like how to get started? What type of routines or exercises and that type of thing? Literally do, for, you've never lifted weights. Obviously just do body weight stuff like lunges, air squats, wall sit-ups, push-ups. And you're going to get really sore because you don't want to go in and do these weights and then just be so sore you can't even move for a week because I've done that too. Um, mm -hmm. And going to deter you from wanting to do it um, and then once you get that and you're like then you can go to these the weights like maybe eight pounds on each side lunges there's so many things that are available to us online for exercises and i will plug the one that i really enjoy it's called i think it's called fit queen or something like that but she's really awesome her name is anita herbert and she's in florida as well and like she's competed in shows but she has created like this science of these routines for women that will help build certain muscle, but not make you look bulky. And yeah. it's insane the results that people get. That's what I would recommend. Maybe look up her because it can't explain it without you seeing the photos. But I can lift pretty heavy, but I'm not Helga from wherever. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I'm only five feet. And yeah, I don't think I'd look bulky. Yeah. So what's your favorite exercise? I think deadlifts. I really like deadlifts because I'm so short. I used to dance my whole life too because of performing and I can, I go down and without bending my knees, my trainers, you got to bend your knees at least a little to get that support. So I really like deadlifts. My legs, shorter people are really strong in their legs and I'm really strong in my legs. My worst is upper body because I'm good at, I like doing curls and stuff, but when it comes to back exercises and pull-ups, I hate that because I'm weak at it, but I have to do it to keep it up because I don't want to be a hunchback when I get older. That's awesome. I was just doing deadlifts this morning. That, that, those are all really good tips. Similar to you, I do my workouts in the morning. I changed my routine up a few years back to go from working out in the evening after work to in the mornings and getting it done. Because just like you said, at that point, it becomes the beginning to your day. So 
there's no excuse. There's no, I'm not, I don't have time to get it done. It's already blocked out. It's before anything else major starts in your day. And so it's, to me, that's one of the best ways to make sure and get rid of that excuse of, I don't have time to work out because. And it's also, you've done that, right? And it's, that's one of the hardest things is to get up off the couch or get up off the chair and be like, and you feel like, oh, I don't want to do this. Cause there's days like you're oh. not always going to be motivated. You just have to do it. And so when you do it, especially on the days you don't feel like doing it, like yesterday, again, we're in this RV right now and I haven't scoped out the gyms yet because we just got here Sunday night. And so I was like, oh, I do not want to run. It's hotter here. And I just did it anyway. And I felt really good about myself the rest of the day. And yeah. if you do that, and that's the hardest part is getting up. Then you can accomplish anything else during that day. And you're already motivated because you've already done the hardest part. But I think the key though, to doing the morning workouts is you've got to be disciplined about going to bed at a decent time. A lot of yeah. people mm -hmm. want to work out in the morning, but they go to bed at 1130 midnight. Yeah. And then wake up. I'm like, like an old fly. I don't see how people do that. I'm like at eight o'clock. I'm like, uh, same here. Gotta start hunting <laughs> down. And then healthy. Yeah. You go down yeah. when the sun goes down, you're up when the sun's up. Yeah. yeah. No. And it took me a long time to get to that point. It was by force. I, yeah, I spent. I mean, pretty much all my life until the past three years, really three, four years that I started doing the mornings. And I, I resisted the mornings a lot because I even had people tell me to do that. And I tried it a couple of times and I did not like it at all. I felt so like rusty and like brittle. Like I felt like I was going to break in the mornings. It, it was all a mental thing really is what it was. I just, I didn't want to get up. I'm still not a morning person. I really not either. don't enjoy it, but it doesn't matter what time it is, frankly, if it's 445 or it's 745 it's still just as bad to get up for me same <laughs> i'm the exact same but the thing is you just have to do it everybody's oh there's so many books out there make your bed or put your phone i'm like there's nothing that you can do if you're not a morning person you just have to do it and it just has to be disciplined and so now for me going to the gym in the morning has become such a part of my daily routine now that it's like on days if i don't go to the gym in the morning which you know is rare like i, I do the gym six days a week pretty darn consistently, but like even on Sunday mornings, the gym doesn't open until eight, which drives me nuts that they open late on the weekends. So I don't have time to go to the gym before church. And then, so I'll do a run in the morning or something like that. So I still try to do something at least, but even that it's, if I don't do my usually weightlifting routine and stuff, like the whole day, I just feel exhausted. Like I haven't done anything, but I just, I feel dead exhausted and tired and I don't want to do anything. Yeah, it's because that like a body in motion or an object in motion stays in motion. An object at rest stays at rest. Right. I do, though, do active recovery on Sundays. I don't work out. I do. I'll get my steps in. Like I'll go to do a walk or something at the park. And it doesn't. That's just my personal choice on Sundays is that day. But I do think people just starting out that are listening. Y'all don't have to work out. every. You don't have to work with weights every day. It's like start out maybe two to three times a week and do an active recovery on the other days like walk. Do something to just get up and get going. So, yeah, I hope you're taking an active recovery day because if your body feels brittle and you're waking up now, just wait until 10 years from now. That's the good thing is that it doesn't now. Like, I feel good in the mornings now that okay. I've been this for a while. <laughs> but like I said, I think it was all just, it was all mental excuses for me when the past, yeah. why I didn't want to. But I think what you said, Brianna's key is, Brenda's key is that you need to just start doing something. You're right. You can't hear this. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go from zero to six days mm -hmm. a week. You'll right. get discouraged. Just pick two, three days a week to start out with and make yourself disciplined to do it. And then eventually add a day and add a day. And eventually you'll look forward to it. That's the exact same thing for investing. Like I just posted something yesterday. It's like, there's so much information out there and everybody like, Kale, I'm glad you started like three years ago because if there was all of that information out there then, I probably wouldn't even gotten a phone call from you because you would still be like reading all the stuff that you needed to know about investing and then it's like discouraging people because like, there's just so much I can't do it and it's like, take day by day eat a little piece how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time and focus on that one thing that you're learning and then it's you don't have to learn it all you can learn as you go and that's like the mentality for everything and it, it, you're so right that, that's in everything in every aspect of life it's so hard because especially now in today's day and age where everything is public social media is so huge and there's just this so easy to get stuck in these comparison games i go through it and whether it's with fitness or the investing and people out there oh my gosh they're just 
they're killing it. What the, what am I doing? I feel like such a lazy bum here. It, it's so easy to get caught up in that. And, but you have to take a step back. And just like you said, you have to understand that, yeah, Rome wasn't built in a day. You don't have to be the next Grant Cardone tomorrow. It's okay if it takes you five years, 10 years, 15 years to get to a level of where some of these other people are, because just like we were going through your story and a lot of people's story is that what you see now or today is that tip of the iceberg. You don't see mm -hmm. the years and years and years and years of work that went into getting somebody to where they are. But with the social media and everything today, it just makes it makes everything seem like it's all these overnight easy. successes and yeah, that it's easy and you don't just do this or that. And Hey, you're going to be a millionaire. You're going to be a millionaire like me or I'm Grant Cardone. You're going to own three, three jets. No, I don't. My thing is. You don't have a jet yet? No. <laughs> However, Drew does have his pilot's license. He, he wants me to get my fixed wing pilot's license. And I'm like, I'd kill somebody. And people are like, they, people that want to get into mortgage, they're like, I can't do what you do. You're so smart. I'm like, I'm not smart. I just have a little common sense and I, the hunger to learn. So I'm like, you don't have to be a genius to do this. You can probably tell by my act. I'm from a town called Farmville. We had one stoplight in my town. My graduating class was 16 people. I graduated first because they did it by height, not because I was smart. I, but I can say I graduated first in my class, right? So it's anybody, if you have the passion to learn and you do have that little bit of common sense, like you can succeed. And I'm pretty sure that's, the owner of Amazon, he says the same thing. Yeah. Any, anything in life. It's all about, frankly, yeah, it's all about consistency. And that's one of the things that in the process of developing coaching and mentoring for newer investors. And the one thing that I try to make evident is that, yeah, to be successful, you, frankly, you don't need to be anybody special. You don't need to have anything special. You don't need to be super smart. You don't need to come from money. You can be the average Joe of no means average intelligence, whatever, and you can be successful. It just takes discipline, consistency, and time. And frankly, patience. that's it. And, and patience. You're right. very right. It's almost a foolproof formula. If you just yeah. stick with those things and you give it enough time, you can almost automatically become successful in whatever area it's going to be. It's just everybody's, right. everybody's so impatient nowadays. So I'm incredibly impatient. Right. I'm so impatient, but the thing is I had to learn there's some things you can't control, right? It's out of your control. So you go with it, you pray about it and you move on. I think you can be impatient as long as you're putting in the work. Right. If you're impatient and you give up, then right. that's not going to work. But if you're impatient, but you're still putting in the daily work, the weekly, the monthly, the yearly, then you can be impatient and you'll still get results. Yeah, and, and yeah, and the impatience can give you a little bit of that drive to keep going, but just in everything, there's always a balance. So yeah, if you're too impatient, you're going to get discouraged. If you just don't care, then you're probably not going to push too hard either. So that's awesome. So let's talk about your faith life because you, you've, which I think is awesome. You've already talked about in each of these areas already about how you seem to put a lot of things to prayer. So take us back. How did you start out in your Christian journey? When did you become a Christian? Just give us a little background on that. Yeah, well, I was raised in a small town in the South. So it's, we had Methodist church, Baptist church and things like that. And so mom would take me to church every Sunday. I don't know. This is probably not, this is taboo today, but even when I was young and I got mom gave me a whooping on the front steps of our church when I was young, because I was like doing something bad in church and not listening to her or whatever. So it's like, that's like an old story. But it's like everything happened through church. And then once I started to learn to sing, I uh, believed in God. And when you're young, it's hard to wrap your mind around what being a true Christian is. And right. So I think I was like 15 when I sang like three songs at church for a solo or something like that. Afterwards, everybody came up to me and they're like, oh, my gosh, you were so good. You were great. And so I got in the car with mom and I was psyched. Right? I was like, oh, yeah, everybody thought I was good. It's awesome. And she was silent and she was like, yeah, you were good. She was like, but were you receiving the message that you were giving? And I mean like that, even to this day, I think of that daily, whether it be mortgage, whether it be anything that I'm doing, am I doing this for the right reasons, right? Am I receiving that message that I'm trying to give out to everybody else? And it was a big wake up call because I wasn't even thinking about what I was singing. 
right? And so that day changed pretty much the trajectory of how I thought throughout my whole life. And from then I would study a song and I would look at the gospel in it before I would even sing it. And that's how I am with performing now. Like I perform to make people happy for a moment. They forget about their worries in life or they forget about their dog that's sick or their financial troubles. And that's why I started performing. And the funny thing is, uh, every time I would sing a Christian song, like a gospel song, like How Great Thou Art is one of the hardest songs to sing, I would never mess up. I'd pray about it. I'd pray every time before I'd sing that he will give me the voice and that I won't mess up. Sometimes I would mess up on regular songs, but it's weird, like a gospel song, never messed up. So I think that is a sign from him. And I'll still sing. Last year, we had that bad fire again in the Smoky Mountains, and I did a, we did a fundraiser with the fire department, and I sang there for that. I remember that. So I still sing not in a show but yeah so my faith everybody says like they have their conscience right and to me i think it's literally just god talking to you i'm like i don't know what to do about this there's the little voice that you hear don't you already know this or don't you need to do this and i honestly think whether you call it your conscience or what i do think it's god trying to speak to you and so i always try to listen to that i try to have a quiet moment where i just again i'm alone with my thoughts whether it be working out struggling to breathe while I'm running, whatever it may be. So yeah, everything that I do now, because it's really easy to get on that path of attention and it's really easy to do something just for the likes or that social media, whatever it is. And so I always have to bring myself back down to earth and say, why am I doing this? What was my reason for getting into this? Am I doing this to help others or am I doing this to brag or whatever it may be? And so I try to start everything that I do with that question. And my company's Christian, right? So a lot of people have said, maybe you shouldn't post a happy Easter. He has risen on your Facebook mortgage page or Merry Christmas. Jesus is born. Like every, I don't know if you noticed, but every like Christian holiday post about it, the Christianity in it. And I get where people are coming from. I get it. Big companies can't really held on Christianity. What like I'm not freaking Amazon. I'm not Bank of America. So I'm gonna do what I know to do and what has led me to this and has made me successful. And my executive vice president is actually a pastor of his church. Yeah, that may be as somebody you want because that's pretty cool. I don't know how he has the time to do all of that. But yeah, and I send out motivational emails and stuff to my team. You no, know, my team, a lot of my team is like really Christian and stuff. And they come to me sometimes and we just talk with not even business, but just about struggles and we'll pray for each other. So it's a really cool, it's a really cool thing that I think we have going on and that I want to continue because I never want to put God out of anything just because the public may see it as something bad. I'm glad you said that. The funny thing is that the world has done a very good job of convincing Christians that you have to leave your religion in the four walls of your church. And it convinced us that you have to be neutral in the marketplace. Right. There is no neutrality. Every company, yeah. every business has an agenda, a worldview, and a philosophy. Yeah. Every single one. And they will yeah. promote it all day, every day. And you can't say anything about it. But if a Christian happens to promote their Christianity, it's like you've got to be neutral. And that's like going into a cage match. And the guy you're fighting has... He can kick, he can punch, he can elbow you. And he can, no, you got to put your hands in your pocket. You got to be neutral. It's like, no, no, this is not how that works. So I'm glad you say that because when God blesses you, it's only natural to want to glorify him. And if you glorify right. him privately, that's not glorifying him. And as I've read this book where it talks about being a lukewarm Christian, which mm. I think can speak to all of us because it's like we're not 100% on our game all the time. And sometimes we leave God out of things. And so... It, I'm not anything special. Why have you blessed me so much with singing? Or why have you blessed me so much with this career? And my husband was like, God puts the path in front of you, but he has created you in his own image. So you are the one that's going through it and doing it. He's not making you do it. He's right. just creating that path for you. And so you can't just expect God to move mountains for you, even though he could. You have to put in the work as well. And a couple of things that I've been thinking about recently is, so I think one of the hardest things in not just Christianity, I think in life in general, but I, I think it really becomes a stumbling stone in Christianity is we, myself included, tend to think that 
it's all about us. When frankly, it's not, we are stewards and we are servants of God's will. And if he chooses to bless us individually in certain areas and for certain things, then awesome. Yeah. And we need to steward those things very well. However, we may not be blessed. And that may be even more important. If you just thinking through the lives of the apostles, the struggles that they went through, they probably had some of the most difficult lives of any of the disciples of Christ. Yet we would consider them, at least I would consider them to be some of the most blessed people to have, to have ever lived. Right. So I think a lot of people tend to think I'm not rich or I'm not successful or famous or this or that. So God hasn't blessed me. And so God, if you're out there, then do this for me or do that, do that for me. Right. And it just, it tears away at really the underlying message of the gospel. And once we can start understanding that it's not about or you as an individual, this is about God's will and God's plan. And he is working everything out for our good, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be an easy life. Frankly, he says it's going to be a life with tribulations, right? And challenges. It just, that sugar-coated Christianity that is really popularized today becomes such a detriment to people yeah. in their faith journey. And it's something I, I struggle with, certainly, from time to time. And even when I do receive blessings, it's, it's almost, why am I getting that, right? I'm not, I know I'm not doing everything I should be doing. Why are you helping me out here? I don't feel worthy of and, that. And to piggyback on what you both have said, you got to think of it like the parable of the talents. Th those servants didn't choose how many talents they received. They received X number of talents by the master. And that applies to both believers and non-believers in this world. The only responsibility we have is to, like Kale was saying, and you, Brent, as well, is what do we do with those talents? Nothing right. wrong with enjoying them. Nothing wrong with profiting from them, from your management of them. But ultimately, like Kale said, you have to be a steward. And as long as you focus on, okay, what am I doing with what I've been given? then God takes care of the rest. And a lot of times, because people going back to being impatient, they may feel they've only been given one talent. And they may see you have, having 10 talents. And they say, well, I'm not going to do anything. I'll just put it under a bushel. I'll just bury it. And there's obviously a response to that from, from the Lord about that. So I think the key here is whatever level of success you have, be grateful for it. Recognize that you don't deserve it. Seek to glorify God through it. And let God be the one to judge the outcome and right. decide whether or not you receive more or less in the future. And I think that's really the mentality to have. Like you were saying, Kale, you don't expect anything from God, whether you're like, like Job, the Lord gives, the Lord yeah. takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, I was going to make a point, like you may not, like you may not be gifted at something. When I, I first started, I hated running. And the reason why I got into it and love it now is because of COVID, right? I had nothing else to do <laughs> and I wanted to fit in my wedding dress. And so I was like, well, I got to do something. I loved running. Like I used to play soccer in high school and it was like, I just hated running. So I don't even know why I played soccer, but you may not be good at something first. If I, you go out and roller skate at a roller rink, but they still have those places somewhere. You're not going to be good at first. You're probably going to fall. You're probably going to hurt your wrist or whatever it may be. But if you keep practicing at something, you will get, you will get good at it. Or at least you can do it, right? You may not be the best. But you actually have to put in the work. And to piggyback off of what y'all said, you have to make sure if it's not God's will, it's not going to happen. Right. So no matter how you push something, if he's wanting this different path for you, or if he's, you're not doing what's going to his plan, there's going to be so many roadblocks in the way of getting to that destination. Right. And so you just have to always think, you know what? No, I'm not like a chosen one or whatever. I'm not this gift to the world. I'm just one of his people that was born in his and made in his image. What can I do with that? Let me just pray about it and continue to ask him about it. And if people still, when I was young, younger, you always think, I, the only person that mattered with me, I didn't care how, it, I was just thinking of how things affected me. So if you're like that and you're like, I don't know what she's talking about, I don't know, then look up. Look up, it's like a video where it shows your town or whatever. And then it zooms out to the United States. Then it zooms out to the different countries around you. Then it zooms out to the world. Then it zooms out to space where the planets are. Then it zooms out to our galaxy, right? It's, you were a tiny speck. Or if you ever go on a cruise, 
and you're in the middle of the ocean, you really realize how small you are compared to what you're in. And that's just one ocean on this earth. So you have to think how tiny you are in the big picture of things. And I think that would help people really open up and realize it's not about you all the time. It's about the bigger picture. Yeah. And one other, one other thing is that God chooses broken people, right? And we're not, none of us are perfect, right? We all have struggles in our life and understanding that sometimes those struggles can be blessings because they can help other people. Like I was listening to a, another podcast recently and they were talking about that and how like the ripple effect, like the host was talking about how his dad was an alcoholic and he had this revelation one day of, man, somebody helped my dad get over his alcohol addiction. And that guy probably has no clue that he did that or the ripple effect that it had on my dad's life and then his life as the host. And he's a very influential person now. You know, how many millions of people's lives have been changed from that one person who did the, whatever they did because they probably had an addiction as well. Yeah. So this, and I want to moms, right? Or dads, stay-at-home moms or stay-at-home dads. I had a lot of people that will be like, can I invest? I don't do anything. I'm just a stay-at-home mom, which you could do a DSCR loan. But my mom said that before to me. She was like, kind of wish, you know, what I did, you know, she usually just, she did worked odd in jobs and stuff, but she was mostly stay-at-home mom to watch us because my dad was a truck driver, is a truck driver and wasn't home much. And so she had to stay home with us. And she was like, I didn't really do anything with my life. And I'm like, yes, you did. She's, I see you doing all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but you're the one that raised me not right. to be a heathen and not, and you're the one that instilled, if I didn't get that message that day you gave me at the church, where would I be? If you didn't tell me you need to keep, I would sing to her and she'd be like, no, that sounded bad. You need to keep ratcheting. And so it's, and that's another thing. I suck at singing. And maybe if he didn't put that stumbling block in the way, I probably wouldn't have gotten to where I was because I wouldn't practice as much and I wouldn't have tried as hard. So anybody like that's out there that may feel that your life isn't a value and you're stay-at-home mom or you're, I have a client that's really successful now that she said, I'm just a server. It's not just, it's who, you know, who you are and who you want to be and who you can be through the Lord and in bring it back to investing anybody can do this. It doesn't matter if you're just a stay-at-home mom or if you're just a server or whatever it may be. You are, you work tail. You are going to do this if it's right for you. You're going to learn and you're going to prosper from it and hopefully be able to take that value and teach others and give back. Um, so yeah, that's the message I'd like to give. <laughs> yeah, that, no, that's awesome. That's a beautiful note to move into our closing segment on, which I hate to, because I feel like we could keep going here for a while on this. It's exciting to talk about, but so we like to try to provide our audience with real and actionable tips that they can put into practice in their life. So what are three actionable or practical tips it can be in any area that we've discussed that you can give to our audience? I'll give you a tip for all three. What do we talk about first? Investing. So investing again, take it day by day, reach out to people that care to help you, Kale or myself, like created that financing short-term rentals Facebook group. It's not for the business. It's just for people to ask questions in a friendly environment and get their answers they need because there's a lot of questions out there that people don't know the answer to. So give more than you take in that. And so once you start learning something, maybe start helping other people not to make money from it or not be popular from it, but just to help because somebody helped you in the beginning. And then for the fitness one, if you're new to it or you're struggling, just Commit to doing small things at first. Commit to going on a walk each day, maybe a half or a mile or a certain amount of steps if you have an Apple Watch and you do that. And maybe commit to drinking so much water a day. I hate plain water unless I'm like right after a run when I'm really thirsty. There's You can do like BCAs in it. You can do flavored water that have a lot of calories, put flavoring in it. Liquid IV, I do a lot, which is like a saltier one. Maybe commit to two things just that's simple a day. And when you do that, you'll start to do a habit because it's easier and then progress to maybe I'm going to do 10 lunges today, 10 squats and 10 pushups and make that your goal for the whole week. And you have to do that each day. And that will progress. You will see yourself progress a lot more that way than just trying to hit it all at once. And then Christianity, I give you like 20 
things on that, but I'll try to sum it up. Do three things of gratitude per day. So sometimes I forget to pray or whatever. So I do three three gratitudes, whether I say it to myself in my head or write it down. Most of the time I don't write it down because I forget to, and then I just say it in my head. But three things of what you're thankful for each day. And that can lead you into having that mindful prayer each day. Again, it doesn't have to be like sitting down on your knees saying, dear God. For me, let's say I'm thankful for my dogs. I'm thankful that this RV's air conditioning works right now. And I'm thankful for being able to do this podcast because I, I love being able to talk about all three of these things and getting to meet you in not in person, but virtually. So yeah, just three things of gratitude per day. You can do it when you're doing your daily walk, but you can do it when you're trying to chug your water. That's my three things. That's awesome. And you hit a nerve on me with the gratitude thing. That's something that I just recently started putting into practice because I am by nature a negative person. And so it, it's draining, frankly. And so I'm, I've been really putting a big focus on trying to yeah, start doing some in the morning. First thing I do when I wake up, try to think something that I'm grateful for. And so, yeah, I'm working on that. So that's a great tip there. What about three, do you have three books that you can think of that have had the most impact on your life? Three books. Shoot. I'm not just plugging her book because she's my business partner, but <laughs> short-term rental, long-term well. Yeah. I listened to it while I was driving. It's really good. It's really good for first-time investors. It really hits the points sim simplistically, right? So it's easy to read or it's easy to understand or comprehend for your first-time investors. So I definitely recommend that book. I recommend Who Not How. And if you haven't read it, Dale, I think you should read it because I know you're trying to possibly expand your team. It's like, you can't do it all, right? You can't. I can't originate all the mortgages that are coming in. I can't go work out. I can't be present with my family all at the same time. And I can't. And if I was trying to do that, then I wouldn't be as good for my clients. So how or who can I get to help me with that? And that's when you start praying and making the right people come into your life for those roles and for those positions. And you can tell if they're going to work out or not. You trust your instincts. And then a book, I'm going to give you a book that's not, not, what is it? Fiction. I think, I don't know. I like I, To Kill a Mockingbird. It sounds really weird, but it really does. I think history is forgotten. The last generations of that time are dying out. And it shows you the history of what it was back then. But it's cool because it has so many metaphors in there. And it has so many lessons, I think, not outside of like race or whatever that may be, the agenda may be. But it really does have life lessons from each of the three to four main characters. And I just really that book for that. Awesome. Very good. All right. With that, we're going to wrap it up. So we... Thank you very much, Brenna. Thank you for your time. Obviously, you're super busy, so I appreciate you taking out some time and sharing all this with us. Some really good tips and, and some really good motivational information here. Wes, do you have any parting words of wisdom here before we sign off? No, Brenna, I appreciate your time. It was a great interview. I learned a lot from you and looking forward to following your company in the future. Yeah, I love talking about all this stuff and pizza. So if you guys want to talk about any of it, just let me know. <laughs> oh, guest on pizza. Yeah, pizza pizza needs to be added in there. Yeah. And actually, I'm sorry. Before we do sign off, I just want to give you the the opportunity. How can our audience follow you or find you? What are the best ways? Yeah. So you can add me on Facebook, just Brenna Carls. It's pretty unique first name, so you can find me on there. Instagram, same thing, Brenna Carls. My company's website name is <laughs> the Mortgage Shop. So it's just mortgage.shop for our website. So you can look it up on Facebook. And then the cool group is, well, I say it's cool. I think everybody thinks lending is boring and nerdy, but I think it's cool. The cool group is financing short-term rentals because I put a lot of tips and tricks in there, things you don't know about certain mortgages that you can get. People ask questions in there about certain loans or can I take from a self-directed IRA? Just random questions in there. And then I also do every single Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, I do a mortgage prep 101 for all, all loan products can help build people generational wealth with these investment properties. So I go through each one, specific details, frequently asked questions, and then I open up to everybody else who joins to ask their personal questions. 
on there so they can feel a little more comfortable when they speak with their loan originator about their long-term goals and what product best suits them. And that website is mortgageshopprep.com. Nice. Awesome. There we go. So the one-stop shop, guys, if you are looking at investing in short-term rentals, check out Brenna, get in touch with her and her team, and they can make it happen for you. So thank you again, Brenna. Really appreciate your time and all the valuable advice and insight you gave us here. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. Bye.